Paris, September 2nd, 1939, 11 a.m. Dear Mr. Secretary, the permanent officials of the French Foreign Office are of the opinion this morning that the announcement in Berlin yesterday that a Soviet military mission will reach Berlin today is probably the beginning of a last and dangerous diplomatic maneuver to achieve the enslavement of Poland without serious war. Their analysis of the situation is the following. The French Foreign Office expects that today in Berlin, a military alliance between Germany and the Soviet Union will be announced. Hitler's attack against Poland was serious in exactly the region that he most desires to annex, Danzig, the corridor, and Polish Silesia. At other points, the attack was not pushed with the intensity that the Poles anticipated. This is confirmed to me by the Polish ambassador. The French Foreign Office is of the opinion that Hitler will seize these regions, will announce a military alliance with the Soviet Union, that Mussolini will then propose a conference for the settlement of the war between Germany and Poland, and the general liquidation of the Treaty of Versailles. The communication exchanged with the Italian government by the French government yesterday was a polite note of thanks for the Duchess' efforts to preserve preserve peace, an expression of regret that the entry of German forces into Poland had made the Duchess' efforts fruitless, and an expression of French readiness to hear any further proposals that Mussolini might have to offer. You will have noted that no time limit was mentioned by either the British ambassador or the French ambassador when they made their demarque in Berlin yesterday and asked for the withdrawal of German troops from Poland or the return of their passports. Ribbentrop replied that he would have, would have to consult the Fuhrer, and, is believe, and it is believed that Germany will attempt to delay a definite reply until the announcement of an alliance with the Soviet Union, a further proposal by Mussolini, and the occupation by Germany of portions of Poland Hitler most wants. It is obvious to everyone in France that if such a proposal should be made by Mussolini, the French and British government ought to reply that they would be prepared to enter a conference only after the complete evacuation of the Polish territory seized by Germany. It is also obvious that an end could be put to this maneuver by the immediate demand of the French and British ambassadors in Berlin for a reply within an hour to the demarque of yesterday to be followed by an attack on Germany. It is also obvious that if Poland should be let down at this moment by France and England, when she is engaged in defending her soil there, would be no further resistance by any state or in Central or Eastern Europe to German aggression. And Germany, after organizing all these states, would attack France and England with the greatest chance of success. It is further obvious the abandonment of Poland would, in that case, be a mortal blow at the morale of the peoples of France and England, which is today extremely high and honorable. Under the circumstances, it will no doubt seem strange to you that the French and British governments have not taken more rapid action to come to the support of their Polish ally. The excuse given in Paris is that the Chamber of Deputies cannot meet for physical reasons until three this afternoon, and that is an ultimatum, and that an ultimatum to Germany to be presented by the French and British ambassadors in Berlin cannot be delivered until after the meeting of the Chamber of Deputies. The fact is that certain prominent French statesmen whom I refrain from mentioning as I have refrained from mentioning names and giving you the views of the permanent officials of the Foreign Office, are so afraid of facing war at the present moment that they would be willing to arrive at a compromise which would give Hitler the substance of his 16 demands of August 31st. 
and number of prominent members of the French Chamber of Deputies and Senate who work in close contact with these government officials are also inclined at heart to abandon Poland. Daladier and the military leaders, on the other hand, are fully determined to fulfill to the full the obligations of France to Poland, and the entire population of France is facing war with a resolute courage that is beyond praise. Chamberlain's speech yesterday will make any betrayal of, of the Poles by the British extraordinarily difficult. The decision of the French government, in spite of the point of view of some of its members, will in the end prove to be firm and honorable, both because of the point of honor involved and because of the complete realization that if Poland should be abandoned, it would be the turn of France next. Those who wish to give in have no policy except that of submitting to enslavement, and I cannot believe that they will be able to conceal this issue from the people of France, and by weasel actions draw their country into a position which in the end necessarily would be fatal. The alternative may in the end prove to be fatal, but at least it offers a fighting chance. William C. Bullitt Confidential, the military attaché, Warsaw, Poland, February 25th, 1933. Subject, Polish War Plans. The person from whom I received the following information has, to the best of my knowledge and belief, first-hand information of the subject. I do not believe, believe that it is desirable to further identify him. He said to me last night, a war with Germany will be over in four days. Asking to, asked to explain, he said that the Polish plan contemplated reaching all objectives in that time. While he would not discuss the subject further, he left the impression that stabilization would be reached and outside pressure would bring about an armistice before Germany could gather force enough to break it. It may be some time before a confirmation of this can be obtained. In this con connection, I learned from a reliable source that the bridge head at TCZEW, around 35 kilometers south of Danzig, will serve as an important point in defensive plans. No opportunity has presented itself to enable me to develop this information. The foregoing will be amplified and coordinated as soon as possible, but are regarded as being of sufficient interest to report piecemeal. Albert Gilmore, Lieutenant Colonel, CAC, Military Attaché. Postscript. Throughout World War II, Germany stuck of dive bombers wreaked havoc on cities and infrastructure across Europe. Their high-pitched diving sirens were a terrifying warning that destruction was imminent. Yet, on the morning of September 1, 1939, they were dispatched on an unusual mission to stop the destruction of the mile-long railroad bridge over the Vistula River near the town of Zuch and the German-Polish border. Their air, their air mission to salvage what was the once the longest bridge in the world was organized directly by Adolf Hitler, who knew that the Poles planned to blow up the bridge, so severing a vital logistical link to Poland as soon as, this, as soon as a single German soldier crossed the border. The Stuka successfully destroyed the fuses rigged to detonate the bridge, as well as the barrage of the garrison charged with overseeing the blast the barracks of the garrison charged with overseeing the blast. The bombs they dropped may have been the first explosions of World War II. Poland had planned for this eventuality. Polish forces had been preparing to defend against the German invasion over the Zoo Bridge from the moment that Hitler came to power. His condemnations of the border re redrawing under the Treaty of Versailles, his calls for Lebensraum, 
living space, and his 1938 annexation of much of Czechoslovakia made his ambitions perfectly plain. Backup fuses stored nearby were quickly installed, and the bridge was blasted to bits right on schedule. German trains filled with soldiers and supplies were stalled at the crossing as German engineers constructed a makeshift pontoon bridge. Unfortunately, Poland made three miscalculations about the larger conflict, rendering the two bridges destruction only a minor inconvenience to the Nazi invasion force. First, as discussed in the 1933 military report included with this week's letter, Poland had planned for a short and slow-moving war and overestimated the advantage on being on the def- of being on the defensive side. They believed that they could keep the invasion force bogged down at the border for several days. Instead, the invaders, equipped with thousands of tanks, bombers, and fighter aircraft, quickly penetrated deep into the heart of Poland. Attacking from the north, south, and west, Germany stretched the far smaller Polish military to its limits. They also killed civilians with impunity, triggering panic mass migrations from the front, which caused routes vital to Poland's military mobilization. Second, Polish diplomats placed inordinate faith in the will and ability of their allies to pressure Germany to withdraw. As war approached, rather than assisting Poland with preparations, French diplomats pressured their ally to slow its mobilization for war, even as German soldiers massed on the other side of the border. When the war came, France's foreign minister, Georges Bonnet, refused to guarantee even a stern letter to Berlin much less a military response. Britain and France both eventually promised assistance, but little help materialized in the first few weeks of the conflict. Finally, Poland failed to foresee the Molotov-Ripentrop Pact signed in late August and the subsequent thawing of relations between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Poland's worst-case scenario defensive plans depended on gradual withdrawal southeast towards the Romanian bridgehead. From there, Polish forces could open supply lines through neutral Romania, dig in for war, and prepare counterattacks for the Allies once help arrived. These plans were stimmied on September 17, when hundreds of thousands of soldiers from Stalin's Red Army opened up a new front to the east. Within weeks, Germany and the Soviet Union cemented their control over Polish territory and divided it amongst themselves. One person who was not blindsided by these events was William Billy Bullitt Jr., the United States ambassador to France. In this week's letter, written by Secretary of State, written to Secretary of State Cordell Hull one day after the German invasion, Bullet predicts the, cons- the progression of the German invasion and the future involvement of the Soviets. He also identifies in detail the dire consequences that would result from France and Britain's reluctance to honor their diplomatic commitments. Bullet was then one of President F. D. Franklin D. Roosevelt's most trusted advisors on po- foreign policy, and for good reason. A former foreign correspondent, he was skilled at analyzing and distilling the actions and ambitions of states and politicians. He was also a seasoned diplomat, having led the first American diplomatic mission to the Soviet Union at the direction of President Woodrow Wilson before serving as the first U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union under FDR. In Moscow and Paris, Bullet honed the art of intoxicated diplomacy, wooing high-ranking friendships with raucous parties. One involved a drunk baby bear. In cashing in on these friendships to inta- obtain intel and influence, Bullet was also somewhat fearless. When the French government fled Paris after Germany invaded, Bullet refused President Roosevelt's order to evacuate the city, instead serving as provisional mayor of Paris and negotiating to prevent the city from being bombed. By disobeying, he angered Roosevelt, but very likely saved Paris from the ruinous fate suffered by many other historic European cities.
Eventually, eventually Bullock's penchant for boldness and debauchery proved to be his downfall. Roosevelt could forgive the Paris incident, but it was harder to look past Bullock's treatment of Miss Lee Hand, the president's secretary. Bullock had courted Lee Hand, and Roosevelt had even hoped the pair would marry, but instead, Bullock ended the relationship after word leaked that he carried on an affair with a European dancer. Roosevelt was a bit of a hypocrite when it came to affairs. Bullock finally won the Pulitz president's eternal enmity when he forced Under Secretary of State Sumness Wells, a close friend of the president whom he disliked, to resign by leaking evidence of the somewhat imprudent way Wells conducted himself privately. This final act led Roosevelt to banish Bullock from the State Department and to work behind the scenes to block Bullock from ever holding public office again.